Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work, and you can find out more. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, terrific organization for young people, especially high school and college age. We'll be talking about the presidency of uh, Grover Cleveland. It is July the 10th, and on this day in 1925 in Dayton, Tennessee, the so-called Scopes Monkey Trial began with John Thomas Scopes, a young high school science teacher accused of teaching evolution in violation of Tennessee state law, the law which had been passed in March, made it a misdemeanor punishable by a fine to teach any theory that denies the story of the divine creation of man as taught in the Bible and to teach instead that man has been descended from a lower order of animals. With local businessman George Rappelier, Scopes had conspired to get charged with this violation, and after his arrest, the pair enlisted the aid of the American Civil Liberties Union to organize a defense. Hearing of the coordinated attack on Christian fundamentalism, uh, William Jennings Bryan, the three-time Democrat presidential candidate and a fundamentalist hero, volunteered to assist the prosecution. Soon after, the great attorney J- Clarence Darrow agreed to join the ACLU in the defense, and the stage was set for one of the most famous trials in the United States history. On July the 10th, the monkey trial got underway, and within a few days, hordes of spectators and reporters had descended on Dayton as the preachers set up revival tents along the city's main streets to keep the faithful stirred up. Inside the Ray County Courthouse, the defense suffered early setbacks when Judge John Ralston ruled against their attempt to prove the unconstitutionality and then refused to end his practice of opening day uh, day's proceedings with prayer. Outside, uh, Dayton took on a carnival-like atmosphere as an exhibit featuring two chimpanzees and a supposed missing link opened in the town and vendors sold Bibles, toy monkeys, hot dogs, and lemonade. The missing link was, in fact, Joe Veens of Burlington, Vermont, a 51-year-old man who was a short statue and possessed a receding forehead and protruding jaw. One of the chimpanzees, named Joe Mendy, wore a plaid suit, a brown fedora, and white spats and entertained Dayton citizens by monkeying around on the courthouse lawn. In the courtroom, John Ralston, the judge, destroyed the defense's strategy by ruling that expert testimony, scientific testimony on evolution, was inadmissible on the grounds that it was not Scopes who was on trial, that it was Scopes who was on trial, not the law he had violated. The next day, Rolston ordered the trial moved to the courthouse lawn, fearing the weight of the crowd inside was in danger of collapsing the floor. In front of several thousand spectators in open air, Darrow changed his tactics as he, uh, his sole witness called Brian, James uh, Brian, in an attempt to discredit his literal interpretation of the Bible. In searching examination, Brian was subjected to severe ridicule and forced to make ignorant 
and contradictory statements on the amusement to the amusement of the crowd. On July 21st, in his closing speech, Darrow asked the jury to return a guilty verdict in order that the case might be appealed. <clears throat> That's right, not innocent, but guilty. Under Tennessee law, Brian was there and thereby denied the opportunity to deliver the closing speech he had been preparing for weeks. After eight minutes of deliberation, the jury returned a guilty verdict, and Ralston ordered Scopes to pay a fine of $100, the minimum the law allowed. Although Brian had won the case, he had been publicly humiliated and his fundamentalist beliefs had been disgraced. Five days later, on July the 26th, he laid down for a Sunday afternoon nap and never woke up. In 1927, the Tennessee Supreme Court overturned the monkey trial, a verdict on a technicality that left the constitutional issues unresolved until 1968, when the U.S. Supreme Court overturned a similar Arkansas law on the grounds that it violated the First Amendment. The Scopes monkey trial on this day. Well, in a long, intense heat wave, is about to bake parts of Arizona, New Mexico, and interior California. Meanwhile, a separate boiling front is uh, causing life-threatening temperatures in South Florida. The National Weather Service has warned people in several cities, including Phoenix and Miami, to avoid the sun this weekend. Well, in fact, even today, I think it's all week, swaths of the uh, southwest and Florida are expected to see record-setting temperatures. Uh, uh, Weather.com says the temperature is going to get up to 93 today. And, of course, the humidity is a big factor in that, too. So uh, do be careful. If you're planning on going for a long walk, maybe give second thought to that. Find a gym inside. Well, Joe Biden left on Sunday for Europe, where he will spend time in three nations tending to alliances that have been tested by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. After arriving at night in London, Biden will uh, meet the next day with King Charles III for the first time since he was crowned. That's King Charles, not Joe Biden. (laughs) Next is the centerpiece of the trip, the NATO summit in Vilnius, Lithuania. Alliance leaders will debate the war and revise plans for dealing with Russian aggression. The final stop is in Helsinki, where Biden on Thursday is expected to celebrate the expanding alliance with Finland as the newest member of NATO. His national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, said the trip would showcase the president's leadership on a world stage. I'm not kidding. He really said that. <laughs> and then I'm sure sitting and keeping across his fingers and hoping things go well. Well, Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall had some interesting things to say. He said on Sunday that Ukraine shouldn't be admitted right now to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, arguing that such a move would put a lot allied NATO member and their nations at war with Russia, and he's exactly right. I think it should be incremental, and uh, the Texas Republican said on CNN about admitting Ukraine to the alliance, we cannot admit Ukraine into NATO immediately. That would put us at war with Russia. Ukraine is looking for support and the military and financial backing of NATO as it tries to repel Russia's invasion, which is now 500 days old. Well, he's exactly right. The uh, Ukraine or the NATO documents say any attack on any nation in NATO is an attack on uh, all the countries in NATO. So that would immediately draw us and all the other members of NATO into a world war. That's not something we need right now. It would be a bad move. Well, an indigenous Native American chief in Vermont said he would be open to talking with ice cream maker Ben and Jerry 
about taking back the land under its headquarters. Don Stevens, as the chief of the uh, band of Kosuk Abenaki uh, Nation, told the New York Post that he looked forward to any kind of correspondence with the brand to see how they could better benefit indigenous people, noting that the company's South Burlington, Vermont headquarters is on the western Abenaki land. If you look at the Abenaki traditional way of being, we are a place-based people, Stevens told the Post. Before recognized tribes in the state, we're the ones who were uh, in this place. The remarks came... uh, Days after the ice cream maker said in July 4th tweet that America should return stolen indigenous lands. Well, the 4th of July is a high time we recognize the U.S. exists on stolen indigenous land and commit to returning it, the ice cream maker tweeted. Now, the owner of uh, Ben and Jerry's is a Unilever. I'm sure they can't be pleased about this. This sounds like another Bud Light moment to me, and I think it's going to hurt the brand. already has hurt the brand, actually. The price of stock is down. But I love the idea. Okay, you want to give back land? You first. Show us how it's done. Give your headquarters back to the indigenous people. And uh, uh, we'll follow and think about your advice uh, for the rest of the nation. Hypocrisy, in my opinion. Well, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un reportedly indulges in popular European food and alcohol, favoring Parma ham and whiskey commonly found on grocery store shelves, according to a U.K. defense expert. Uh, Kim Jong-un is the 36th richest man in the world, and in 2018 took delivery of two special Maybach Mercedes. He has 17 palaces and a private plane, defense expert and professor Alex Gleese told the Daily Star. And according to his chef, he is an inveterate boozer, drinks black-label Scotch whiskey and Hennessy brand, and a heavy smoker. So those people, if you can imagine, they're dying of starvation, have terrible lives, can't speak the truth, uh, don't have any rights and no freedoms, and this guy is living off the fat of the land, and it's it's a crime against humanity, in my opinion. Well, the movie box office website, Box Office Mojo, confirmed that Sound of Freedom outperformed Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny on July the 4th. Uh, The film uh, Indiana Jones movie made $11,698,000. Sound of Freedom made $14,242,000. Even more impressive is that the Sound of Freedom, co-written and directed by Alexandro Monteverde, cost just $14.5 million to make, according to the Wall Street Journal. The Anna Jones movie had a budget of at least $295 million, according to Deadline. Uh, South of Freedom uh, by Angel uh, Studios is based on the true story of Tim Ballard, a former U.S. government agent who quit his job to rescue children from global sex traffickers. Big media have all but ignored the sound of freedom. We saw it uh, last week. It is an unbelievable experience, and if you haven't gotten tickets yet, I encourage you. It's showing at less than uh, uh, 2,000 theaters, less than uh, Indiana Jones is playing, and yet they've outgrossed them so far. It's a, I really encourage you to see Sound of Freedom. It's written for Jewish journal David Suisa, noted in reference to the New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, Hollywood Reporter, etc., Except for Variety, I keep coming up empty. The Times reviewed 65 films in June, but Freedom wasn't on the list. 
The film isn't even listed on the website of a review aggregator, Metacritic, which usually is pretty much every release. How can a film that examines an important subject and is also doing well at the box office being iced out? Sound of Freedom literally rips the lid off of a taboo news theme in the United States. And the question is, why are they, why are they shunning the movie? What's the problem? Well, I think uh, it's a cover-up. Suisse added, the burden of the proof is not on the film, it's on the media companies. It's one thing to review a movie and to pan it, but, it's totally, but to totally ignore it, it makes no sense whatsoever. I'm going to come back to this later in the show. Right now we're going to be speaking with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, JohnsonsAirConditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is LifeInNaples.net. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabees Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, 
limited government, and the rule of law. Come out later in the program, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. I hope you check it out. It's great for kids of all ages, including you and I. Again, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So our, for our listeners' benefit, you are in Tel Aviv right now, and I think it's a pro. We do always talk about current global events uh, on uh, Monday mornings. Let's start off with uh, Israel. What's going on? Okay, so the multiple level things have happened in the past week. Um, on one hand, there was an Israeli operation in Janine against terrorists. There was a rocket fire from Gaza. There was a rocket fired from Lebanon. Uh, there was a anti-aircraft missile that went awry fired from Syria. So on all fronts, there was events taking place. But more importantly or more significant is the internal fight over changing the judicial system. The government decided to go ahead with it. And so first there was a big demonstration last week in the middle of towards Wednesday night when the police commissioner for Tel Aviv, district commander, uh, gave a speech. He had been fired because he wasn't strong enough against the demonstrators. And he said, I could have broken heads to clear the streets, but I believe in police shouldn't be breaking heads. Right. So he was fired, and as a result, tens of thousands of people took to the streets and blocked some highways. Um, Saturday night, there was a normal large demonstration, and tomorrow, today is the day the Israeli parliament is scheduled to pass in the first reading. You need three readings to become a law, uh, part of the judicial overhaul. And tomorrow has been declared a day of national um, just disruption. So expect the airport to be disrupted. Um, most businesses are giving their employees a day off to demonstrate and do whatever they wish. And we'll, it's, not a, it's not totally clear what's going to happen, but it'll be a crazy day yeah. uh, of protests against the government. So, so these, these uh, are... But on the other hand, the police commissioner, you know, he was brought before... <coughs> the, the police commissioner of the country was brought before the government... And again, they were, they were concerned that they weren't acting strong enough against the demonstrators. And he mentioned the fact that that one policeman has been injured by the demonstrators as opposed to other demonstrations. And yes, that's why they haven't seen mass arrests, because it's been peaceful protests. Interesting. So, uh, not familiar with the uh, government of Israel, but uh, what are the politics of uh, people who are going to be voting on this? Uh, what, what, what's at stake here for them as they start to decide how they're going to vote? It's not so clear. There was, uh, this is being done primarily by the religious parties and part of the far right, which seems to, for reasons that are not totally clear, are obsessed by the fact that the Supreme Court has stopped them from doing what they think they should do. In most cases, it's stopped them from certain corruption a actions, to be honest with you. It's more of a, a reflection of reality than it is of, I mean, it's, it's their belief in actual reality. The Supreme Court has been very limited in, in terms of stopping things like um, settlements in the West Bank and things of that nature that the Supreme Court has been very, very uh, unobtrusive when it comes to those things. But every once in a while, the Supreme Court has a ruling. For instance, if the settlers take private Palestinian land, they say they can't do that. Or there are other similar every once in a while. And the other part of the problem is that the these far-right parties sort of have this view that it should all be worked the way they want. And unfortunately for them, the reality of the world doesn't allow them to do some of the things that they want, and they, they're using the Supreme Court as a scapegoat. So the far right is, is against, against the courts and wants this change, even though it's really not based on reality. It's based on more, more of a perception than anything else. Yeah. 
Any update on the West Bank? No, I mean, look, there's continuous every single day. There are attempts that there are terror attacks of some form or another. Most of them are, are stopped in their tracks. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, succeed. Um, there's no, you know, I think I said the other week, there's no easy solutions. There's no good solutions. Um, and so sort of muddling on is the only solution at the moment. Let's put it that way. All right. So uh, Biden is making this historic trip. He's going to show the world what a great leader he is. And I just want want to get your thoughts on uh, his visits to starting off with London and then on to Lithuania. Well, I mean, look, it's it's routine. It's it's important because it's an important NATO summit. And uh, he's done very well by NATO. Let's put it that way. He's the, you know, if you were to judge the Biden presidency just based on the response to Ukraine, um, you'd have to be, you know, wearing sunglasses and to reflect on yourself to say that, it, that he's done a bad job when it comes to the Ukraine. Um, and it's getting more difficult as time goes on because everyone's sacrificing more or less, and, you know, people don't like sacrificing. On the other hand, NATO is fully alive at this meeting in NATO. Um, the major thing on the agenda besides Ukraine is actively... Um, actively strengthening the NATO borders. In other words, assuming the worst and making sure there are active troops available and uh, realigning and replanning so that there are troops available to repel any Russian aggression. And this is, you know, NATO is more alive now than it's been uh, certainly since what we just find is the end of the end of the Cold War. And um, it's operating as one with certain, you know, there are certain rifts. Um, there's no longer the rift of countries that don't want to spend money. I mean, you see, some are spending more, some are spending less, but no one is no longer, no one is cutting back on the defense spending. Everybody's increasing defense spending across the board. Um, different countries are setting up a regional uh, missile defense system between Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. They're doing a joint missile defense system, uh, which they have to be buying from Israel, actually. Um, but um, there is a real activism in NATO that there hasn't been in all these years. One of the big questions is the is whether to allow uh, and when to allow, I guess, more correctly, Ukraine into into NATO. Mm-hmm. Some of the countries are pushing to allow it sooner rather than later. Uh, Biden said yesterday that it's too soon. Um, clearly, the problem with letting Ukraine in now is it basically would automatically mean NATO would be at war with the Russians, and no one really wants to do that at this stage. Right. Um, I think the. The, the plan is that once the war is over, then, then uh, there'll be an easy way for Ukraine to join, join NATO. Um, and again, this is the opposite of what Putin wanted, to, wanted to, to do, but he's gotten the opposite. He's gotten clearly Ukraine is de, you know, de facto part of NATO at the moment, and clearly Ukraine would bring a lot to NATO because it at this point has a very strong armed forces. Yeah. Um, so... Um, that was, will happen afterwards. The, one of the interesting developments in the last couple of days is the fact that uh, Turkey or Erdogan has come out in favor of Ukraine joining NATO. Right. Now, Erdogan was considered sort of, you know, footy-footing with, with Putin this whole time, um, but now they seem to, he seems to have sniffed out a weakness of Putin and decided um, he's all in with Ukraine. He also allowed, he was holding the... Um, Defenders of the Isle of Zorf, uh, steel plant that was captured earlier in the war, um, there were um, there were POWs that the Russians released to the Turks, and Turkey now allowed those people back to Ukraine. So it seems that Erdogan has decided to um, to go all in at this point with with Ukraine and against Putin, which is very interesting. Even though you may hate or may like 
uh, Erdogan. I mean, he's a dictator. There's no question about it. Right. But he's certainly um, wily and smart. He so, is indeed. He's a great. So uh, he, the, uh, uh, Biden said basically, "Hey, you know, I know we we'd like to provide you lots of ammo. But our our well is kind of dry right now. We're going to send you some cluster bombs." What are your thoughts about that? I think there's no choice, really. I mean, they're cluster munitions. The problem with cluster munitions is some of them don't go off, and that remain, and that ends up being a danger to civilians after the war. That's why people. That's why a lot of countries won't use cluster, cluster bombs or cluster munitions at all. Um, but the reality is, you know, we've discussed this before. The West is not producing enough artillery rounds at this point. There's a there's an effort all over the West to to increase production. There are a couple of factories that are going to be going online. And within about six months to a year, uh, there'll be enough being produced by by the West. But at the moment, there isn't. Yeah. And the American stocks and you know have been depleted by the Ukrainian war. And so the one thing that there's plenty of is is cluster munitions of various kinds. So, you know, I think there are people who are saying, "Tata, we shouldn't do that. We should be, be more careful." But you know, what is the choice? Um, there isn't really any choice. Uh, the Ukrainians are the ones who are going to have to pay the price. They're the ones who are going to have to, once they regain this territory, worry about clearing clearing all of the unexploded munitions. I mean, the same way there are plenty of mines that are going to be all over Ukraine that they're going to have to deal with. So that's going to be part of their challenge after the war. But I don't think there's any choice at the moment because we just don't have any other other munitions to provide them. Mark Schumann again, uh, founder of Public. Much more of a. Hmm? Oh, no, I was just saying. I was just uh, gonna say we're gonna take a little break here, Mark. I uh, really appreciate your comment here. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're gonna have more here on the Bob Harden Show, on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratostel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. You're a valued professional RN. There's a path that takes you to the next level. Hodges University offers an RN to BSN program that, like you, is way above average. RNs with a BSN have a faster track to pursuing leadership positions and can see faster hourly rate increases than those with an ASN. You can earn your BSN with Hodges in just one year. Classes are online and start in August. Scholarships are available. Become the next level nursing professional. Do more. Earn more. Be more. Visit Hodges.edu today. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional 
theater experiences, and you can find out more and get tickets. Some great performances going on. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. We continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So uh, let's move to China. There's a lot going on. We've got uh, Janet Yellen having made, made her visit there. Of course, Tony Blinken before her. Uh, and the, the economy's of some concern. Maybe you could tell us about it. Sure. So first of all, the two visits took place. Um, they went off more or less without a hitch. I mean, it's good people talk. We don't want to go down a road of misunderstanding. Uh, you know, these, these discussions don't settle some of the fundamental differences between the two countries, but um, they're better than, than nothing, let's put it that way. And, and in both cases, the, the um, like I said, the, the meetings seem to have gone well, and um, a little greater communication has been established between the two sides, and that's always a good thing. The concern in terms of China right now is, is twofold. There's the short term, which is tied to the long term, and that's the fear of deflation. Because the inflation rate in China last month was zero, huh. and um, the concern is that zero can clearly quickly turn into a deflationary trend. And keeping in mind the fact that again we come back to what we discuss so often, the demographics of China, where there are every single day there are less workers in China than the day before, because more workers are retiring than are entering the workforce. Right. And that also means there's need for less apartments. There's need for less of everything. And when you need less, that brings down prices. You bring down prices, you can get into a deflationary spiral, which is a very dangerous thing for an economy to be in. Well, of course, while you may have those things, you also have the, the, I would imagine they have social, some sort of a social program to support seniors. Well, they do. They definitely definitely do. No one's about to, to, to starve in China in that sense. Um, but um, the concern is um, that as the numbers decrease, how you know how do you continue, how do you maintain growth? So the last twenty years, China's growth has been dual. It's been export driven, but it's also been uh, domestically driven by rising Chinese consumption. Because you had the greatest number of people come out of poverty in the history of the world. What's happened in China in the last thirty right, years? Right. And um, those people all became consumers. And they were consumers, and they bought cars, and they bought iPhones, and they bought you name it. Uh-huh. Um, but those numbers are suddenly slowing down to stopping in terms of new people. Yeah. And so, therefore, China, in order to keep on growing, needs to grow in terms of its exports. But growing with its exports is a challenge when you have other competitors these days. They're no longer the low-price uh, place in the world to produce. It's Vietnam, uh, Malaysia, uh, Pakistan, those places are cheaper to produce at the moment. So uh, they have to find ways of, of growing their economy and still base it on exporting because domestic growth is not taking place. China does not have immigration, remember that. All right, and I would, I would imagine the appetite uh, for buying goods from China right now is diminishing because of and dampening because of uh, what it looks like to be a worldwide recession. Well, except there doesn't seem to be a recession, right? There's no recession in the United States yet. Not We've yet. We're talking about a recession for a year and a half. I mean, it may, may eventually occur because cycles of economic, you know, economic cycles always occurring. Recessions, you know, always do seem to occur, but right. there hasn't been one in the United States despite a year. You know, how long have we been talking about a recession? At least a year, exactly. not longer. Yep. Um, so, 
Um, it's not clear there's a, there's a recession going on in the United States, and there's not in the United States. There's really not one in Western Europe. So it's unclear. Um, you know, part of it, we, we haven't really focused on the impact of the war. Um, the wars tend to be good for economies. In other words, even for the United States, I mean, I, again, I, I don't know the employment figures, but I would imagine that the all the U.S. defense um Manufacturers are all, you know, have hired people and are working at capacity. Um, they used to be a more substantial part of the economy than they are today, but they're still not insubstantial. Yeah. And there are all sorts of suppliers and everything else, and everybody there is building, building, building. So, Mark, it, um, it looks to me uh, like the uh, Chinese government is becoming a little bit more militant towards the United States. And what do you make of that? Is it true, And first of all? And then second of all, what do you make of it? Okay, I think rhetoric has been more militant. Yeah. Reality, it's not at all clear. Don't forget, the United States has pushed back tremendously on China, the CHIPS Act and Biden administration, uh, not allowing certain manufactured goods to go to China in terms of high-tech goods, etc. So the Chinese, I think, respond to, to what the United States has been doing. Um, it's a very careful, you know, the United States and China can't afford to be enemies in the sense that we have inter interdependent economies. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to find the way to um, work together. Listen, if it wasn't for Taiwan, we really wouldn't have a geopolitical issue with China either. I mean, there's no reason why China shouldn't be the strongest country in, in their neighborhood as long as they don't want to expand and take over other people. So, um, you know, again, I, as you know, over the time, I'm, I'm less of a China hawk in the sense that I think China's going to end up to being like like Japan was two decades ago. You know, we were fearful, fearful, fearful that the Chinese and Japanese were taking over America until what ended up was they ended up with Rosa, you know, with uh, Rockefeller Center, and then they had to sell it because, you know, it doesn't really do any... Owning real estate some ways doesn't really do you a lot of good, let's put it that way. Well, and, and how much of this uh, problem in their economy has to do with the overhang from the real estate problem they've developed here in the last five or ten years? It's a serious part of it, but the under the overall problem is 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 what's causing the the uh, real estate overhang, which is the fact that the population is shrinking. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, demographics are very important. Um, we've seen it in Japan. We're seeing it in China. We're going to see it. In, we're seeing it in 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 Europe. I was on a TV show a couple of days ago, arguing, talking about the rise of the far right in in Europe. And most of it was a discussion of immigration, similar to the United States, but very different because the Europeans are not used to immigration. You know, we can in America we can argue about you know the, is the borders correct or the right mix of. But America is a land of immigrants, however way you want to define it. All Europe right. is not, uh, but Europe with 1.2 children per family needs immigrants. There's no way around it. But immigrants, especially in a homogeneous country like um, like some of these countries in Europe, create problems because it's very. It's much easier for an immigrant to integrate into the United States than it is to a country in Europe. You know, the United States has had waves and waves of immigrants. Everyone knows what an immigrant is and how it works. And yeah. they have immigrant neighborhoods, and then they disperse and intermarriage and three generations. You know, they're no longer immigrants, basically. Um, but in Europe, they're not used to that. And so that's creating all sorts of difficulties. And um, But again, but they need it economically, and China needs it economically, but obviously it's not going to take in immigration. No one wants to move to China. Yeah. I mean, that's the reality. Exactly. Uh, well, so, and and uh, would they be welcome? Probably, in, unless... <laughs> they want to I wouldn't think so. I would not think so. Again, the Chinese, you know, the Chinese are their own, um, you know, nationalists and want only their own kind. And, you know, 
it's generally a problem in any nation that has a very nationalistic history of of peoplehood. You know, Mark, before... One of the different... Uh, I was just going to say, before I let you go, uh, any comments at all about uh, what's happening in Holland and uh, with the Dutch? They've, uh, you know, I've been following it, but I'm not sure I could I could explain it well. All I can say is, uh, you you have the same problem really. It's a question of immigration and what policy towards immigration, and no one has found the right, especially in Europe, even more so the United States has found found the right balance. Uh, it really is. I mean, it's a it's a very difficult problem for Europe, and, they, and the Dutch have the same problem. Uh-huh. And Dutch will want you know want everyone to be Dutch, but. Immigrants are not Dutch, at least not in the first generation or second generation. And remember, the big difference that everyone needs to keep in mind is the United States. If you believe in the Constitution, um, and of course you have to become a nationalized American, but you're basically an American, and there really isn't a lot of differences. But in all these countries, they much more identify with their nationalistic history and their ethnic histories, much, much more so. Yeah. And um, so. It makes it much more difficult in, in Europe to figure out a way of absorbing immigrants, which they need economically. So, real challenge. And a challenge indeed. Mark Schulman, again, founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, Mark, always appreciate your most well-informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Have a great week, Bob. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for economic education, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Gain the skills you want so you'll be in demand by employers. That's what Hodges University's Workforce Readiness is all about. Choose your specialty from EV technician, automation, robotics, real estate, insurance, and electronics to programming boot camps, supply chain management, and more. These classes are online, affordable, and focused on what you need to know. Learn more today by visiting Hodges.edu and clicking on Workforce Readiness. Because with Hodges University, you'll stay near and go far. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You've heard me talk about Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, and they have great breakfasts and lunches. You can also enjoy dinner 
at Lulabee's Diner, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. Informal, outstanding menu, great food, and inexpensive. It's a great delight. Again, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. We educate young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, free markets, private enterprise, and private property, as well as personal character. And we do that through our website, which is fee.org, and also through events on campuses and at universities and schools all over the country and sometimes abroad. Terrific organization. I just encourage you to have somebody high school or college age in your life, refer them to this organization. Fee.org is the website. So, Larry, you wrote a piece uh, so interesting. Grover Cleveland's veto of a taxpayer-funded Fourth of July celebration holds an important lesson for modern Americans. I couldn't agree more. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Grover Cleveland was our 22nd and 24th American president in the 1880s and 1890s, the only president to serve two terms that were not consecutive. But before he became president the first time, he served a year as mayor of Buffalo, New York, and then went on also and served a year as governor of New York before being elected president. When he was mayor, he uh, uh, earned the reputation as a veto mayor because he constantly said no to measures that the city council sent him because he thought they were uh, not warranted or they were uh, political cronyism or corrupt or too expensive. And one such veto was in 1882 of a 4th of July celebration uh, planned by the Grand Army of the Republic, which was uh, an organization of Civil War veterans. And now you might think that, uh, hey, a mayor of a city surely would never veto a Fourth of July celebration, Mm -hmm. uh, let alone one sponsored by such an influential group. But he did. And he said that uh, uh, this is something that ought to be done out of the uh, uh, personal charity of the citizens of Buffalo and does not have to be a government function at all. Don't you love that line of thinking? I wish... Everyone who is in elected office would have that line of thinking as they think about expenditures of taxpayer money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he's famous for the phrase, public service is a public trust, meaning that, uh, you know, people trust that you will watch over their their hard-earned money that you take as taxes and use it for what the government is supposed to do and do it efficiently and otherwise leave them alone. And He was very serious about that. He drew the line on public spending uh, in all of his various public offices, mayor, governor, and president. Yeah, that's just so refreshing. As a uh, afterward, did uh, did they end up having the celebration? (laughs) What happened? Yes, indeed they did. As a matter of fact, uh, Cleveland immediately deputized one of the city councilmen and said, uh, it's your job to go raise private funding. Uh, uh, for this celebration, and I'll start the process by making the uh, first donation. And what he gave personally out of his own income, and he was not a wealthy man, was equal to 10% of what the Grand Army of the Republic had requested. 
And uh, they ended up raising 40% more than they ever requested from the city treasury. So it was a wise move on his part and saved taxpayers money. And, of course, people who uh, contributed to it appreciated the celebration, I'm sure, a lot more than just having extracted at gunpoint, literally gunpoint, by, or not literally, but uh, by, by uh, taxation. So Yeah, and I'll bet they more likely showed up for it, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Do I recall that he had a similar circumstance as President of the United States where there was a, a national uh, a natural disaster disaster in Texas and refused yes. to fund uh, the uh, reparations or the or the repair of the area. Yeah, he still holds the record among <clears throat> American presidents for the most vetoes in two terms, um, and one of those vetoes, I think, in 1886, as president, uh, was for ten thousand dollars in tax money for drought-stricken farmers in Texas. And he vetoed it and said uh, in his message that though the people may support the government, it's not the duty of the government to support the people. And uh, he went on and said, in times of distress, we must rely upon the private charity of our fellow countrymen. And uh, sure enough, uh, one newspaper in Kentucky raised um, as much or more uh, for those drought-stricken farmers, as the bill would have taken from citizens all across the country. Just taking a step back, what would our country look like if every elected official took this point of view? I'm referring to the size of government and the yeah. and the types of laws that we have. Well, I'll bet we wouldn't have uh, trillion-dollar deficits in the uh, federal budget. That's for sure. We wouldn't have a 31 trillion-dollar national debt. Uh, we wouldn't have politicians constantly vying with each other uh, and corrupting the political process by trying to purchase votes with other people's money. Uh, it's a very corrupting process when you decide that government is not going to be just for certain specific functions, but just a big grab bag for anybody who has a cause. Yeah, I would suspect we wouldn't have the Department of Education, the Department of Agriculture, the Department of Energy. All yeah. Anything created after 1800 probably wouldn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be fine by me. <laughs> and me as well. Again, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Do check out the website. It's fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. <clears throat> All right, coming up, I think we're going to visit with Joseph Cofield. He is the president of the Constitution for the People uh, uh, org. Constitution for the People org. Interesting conversation to talk about. Oh, certainly needs preservation. We're going to do that and more right here in the uh, Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. ask yourself why people are the way they are. If you're fascinated by human behavior and you want to make a career of it, you know where you need to start? Hodges University with a bachelor's degree in applied psychology. Your professors are practicing professionals that bring your classes to life with life chat discussions and various projects. You know, having a deeper understanding of what motivates people can lead to careers in counseling, sales, human resources. Your passion can be your career. So get started today. What are you waiting for? Visit Hodges.edu you or a stop by their campus in Fort Myers. They're at the corner of Colonial and Winkler. Because with Hodges University, you're going to stay near and go far. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the, in the legislature, you can find out more. It's a terrific organization. I, in fact, I serve on the board. It is thefga.org, thefga.org. We have with us uh, Joseph Cofield. He is the president of the Constitution for the People, uh, the Constitution Project. Joseph, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Uh, Bob, it's a great pleasure to be with you once again. <clears throat> To talk about the United States Constitution, it is always a joy. Thank, Thank you, sir. My pleasure indeed, Joseph. Tell us about uh, the Constitution Project. Well, uh, Bob, this is our ninth year. <clears throat> um, heading into our 10th anniversary for the Constitution for the People, and I got to say it is still as joyful as the first year that we started. We have now gotten United States Constitution booklets all across the 67 counties of the state of Florida, and uh, we're marching on into uh, other states now as we speak. That is fantastic. And I understand the Constitution Week is coming up in September. Uh, yes, sir. Um, the September the 17th to the 21st of each year, the government says that we should take a week out and focus on the United States Constitution. And every school system, every federal organization that uh, gets funding away from the uh, government is mandated to make sure that they teach about the uh, Constitution during the week of September the 17th through the 21st. 
I wasn't aware of that. I think that's a wonder, a wonderful thing to be happening. And and that's a is that a federal law or a state law? Oh no, that's a federal law. Everybody across the United States uh, should be doing that. And that is one great thing is that we know that at least one time a week, uh, one time a month, a year, that we're going to focus on the Constitution and the founding uh, fathers and the uh, history of our country and. And from there, it's never going to stop because if you get a taste of the Constitution for a week, you do not never want to stop, Bob. Uh, for sure. Now, I understand you're going to make a special presentation during Constitution Week to uh, the Mogadishu crew from uh, uh, at the loss of the uh, helicopter. Uh, that is correct, Bob. Um, the Black Hawk incident that happened in um, the training in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, on March the 30th, there was nine soldiers uh, that that died in a helicopter crash. And out of those uh, nine soldiers that passed away, one of them was from Cape Corps, and another one was from Milton, Florida. Huh. And so in, in commemoration of those nine uh, servicemen that passed away, the, United, the Constitution for the People decided that we are going to uh, donate in their honor, uh, 6,000 United States Constitution booklets. That is a tremendous gesture. So who, where, where will these uh, booklets go? Uh, these booklets go to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And from the uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, um, the military uh, schools and the kids that go into the schools in the, in the um, Fort Campbell area, and then we're going to spread them all out to uh, Louisville, Kentucky, because we have a a gentleman that passed away here in Naples, uh, Joseph Barney Lips, who I had the honor of taking to the honor flight. He wow. was from Louisville, Kentucky. Wow! So two thousand little books are going to the kids in Louisville, Kentucky, as well, sir. How are we doing in terms of distribution of the Constitution throughout the uh, counties, sixty-seven counties here in Florida? Bob, we're doing excellent in that area. We finally got. Organizations like the Daughters of American Revolution, the um, American Legion, the VFW, the Rotary, and Kiwanis, they're saying that, you know, Joseph, you're taking money out of your pocket all these years. Let's get behind you and sustain this by getting booklets for the fifth graders every year. So fortunately, organizations like the Rotary and Kiwanis is already calling up and saying, Joseph, we need some of those booklets because we want to be ready for Constitution Week. That is fantastic, Joseph. Well, I think you're doing a great service uh, for uh, Americans, a great service for young people as well by distributing the Constitution. Again, the website is constitutionforthepeople.org. That is correct, Bob. It's constitutionforthepeople.org. Yes, sir. All right, I encourage our listeners to go visit the website, constitutionforthepeople.org. Also encourage our listeners to go see the movie. Have you seen uh, The Sound of Freedom? Uh, not yet, Bob. Uh, I, and and I'm, um, I should get to see that. Yeah, it's, I'm just encouraging all of our listeners to go see the movie because it is uh, absolutely so well done. It's a great story. It's a true story. 
<clears throat> and uh, but it's it, it involves child trafficking, uh, and uh, it's a terrible problem here in the United States. And it's a great act of heroism that the guy that, that performs in the movie. So I just encourage all of our listeners, including you, Joseph. I think you'll really appreciate the story. I look forward to it, Bob. Thank uh, you uh, for jo- aligning me with that. All right, absolutely. And again, the website is. Uh, Constitution, constitutionforthepeople.org constitutionforthepeople.org Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank you for the great work that you're doing uh, Thank you so very much, Bob Anytime I can get a chance to talk about the Constitution that makes my day Alright, thank you, Joseph Well, that's a wrap here on today's show I hope you enjoyed it uh, I, and again, that movie is just so moving and so important uh, There's other things going on We've got so much news but it's impossible to get it all within the, the uh, time that we have Anyhow, I hope you'll send me an email or, and uh, give me your comments on the show. You can do that at bobharden at hotmail.com. Uh, also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you tell your friends and uh, let them know because uh, that's one of the ways we can support our advertisers indeed. I uh, hope you'll uh, join us again tomorrow. We're going to have some great guests, including Kathleen Pasadomo. She is our state Senate president. Boo Mortensen will be joining us, and Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>